My wife might be able to fit down there. Give me, give me hints. This is an imposing podium. Well, it's no secret that uh, I get pretty nervous about these times. I don't come up here very often, and there's a reason for that. Um, but uh, I do really enjoy being with you. Uh, I enjoy you as a community and appreciate all of the love uh, that you've given me and the ways that you've cared for me. So uh, anxiety aside, I'm happy to be here, um, but anxiety is a factor. As Eric said, we've been going through a series of sermons this year uh, that center on one of our village values as a theme. We have uh, six village values. We just covered authenticity. Uh, the other values are creativity, community, accessibility, uh, truth, and the disciplines. And today I get to introduce the disciplines. Hooray! Uh, just to be clear, when I say uh, disciplines, there are two, two possible definitions for discipline, right? One is having to do with punishment. So like uh, a parent punishes their child for bad behavior. And the other is um, uh, choosing to act habitually for some predetermined purpose, usually contrary to the immediate desire or impulse. And it's that second one that I'm talking about today, not the punishment one. Um, and what we value as the village is choosing to act with a predetermined purpose of following Jesus. Um, the, now, the, the, the way we put this into practice, a lot of times we call, uh, you know, we call these things the spiritual disciplines, right? They're, they're practices that we're familiar with. There are some that we do on our own, like prayer, uh, studying scripture, solitude, meditation. Um, when I say meditation, by the way, I don't mean the kind of meditation that involves clearing your head of all thoughts. I mean the kind of meditation uh, that means filling your head uh, with thoughts about Jesus and then dwelling on those, or, or ruminating on those. I like the word ruminating because it means chewing, and it's like you're feeding yourself with the truths of God. There are also disciplines that we can practice uh, together with fellow believers, uh, things like meeting together, like we do on a weekly basis here at Vespers. Uh, we also do that in smaller groups, like with our pilgrim groups and our monastic communities. Uh, other, other disciplines we practice together are submission, uh, confession, service, and celebration. It's not a comprehensive list, but these are the kinds of things that we think of uh, when we think of practicing disciplines and following Jesus. Um, now, those of you who know me well uh, might have guessed that teaching on this topic of the disciplines was not entirely my choice. Um, in fact, as a leadership team, we met last year to plan out you know, what it was we wanted to hear in sermons in the coming year and all of the men, with one exception, said they wanted to be taught about the disciplines. Now, I was the exception. <laughs> and I think there might have been a misunderstanding uh, because what I meant with my silence was I didn't want to hear it. <laughs> but I think what happened is I got assigned to teach it. So here I am, uh, and just, just know this, that I am not naturally strong in being disciplined. Um, I'm pretty weak, but I think God makes it clear that the spiritual disciplines are not for the strong, they're for the weak. And we're all weak, uh, me especially. I feel like when it comes to being disciplined that I'm the worst of all sinners, but 
I'm also really glad that I can say, like Paul, uh, that in me as the worst, Jesus can demonstrate his utmost patience. Now, one of the reasons I have a hard time with being disciplined in general, uh, and especially being disciplined in my spiritual life, is because I like to do what you know what my impulse tells me. When a thought occurs to me, that's what I want to do, and I want to do it my way. Uh, it makes me think of Ephesians 2.3, which says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. So this is a picture of a life without any disciplines, let alone uh, spiritual disciplines. And it's the state that we find ourselves in uh, when we're doing life without relationship with God. Uh, living by impulse this way is a lot like uh, living as an empty bottle in the ocean currents. It's, it's being a slave to your every craving, regardless of the, you know, the fruitlessness or the destructiveness of those cravings. It brings to mind uh, what Richard Chenevy Trench said, which is, None but God can satisfy the longings of an immortal soul. That as the heart was made for him, so he only can fill it. And I think we spend a lot of our time uh, scrambling to fill that longing with things that don't satisfy us. And when we're not doing that, we're trying to hide from those longings altogether. It's what I'm doing when I'm at work, uh, frantically trying to earn respect from people. And failing that, I come home and uh, you know, do something like check out online and read blogs. But it's this very state uh, that God saved us from in sending Jesus. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we could read this as, While we were still undisciplined, Christ died for us. Because our freedom from sinful cravings doesn't come from our strength of will. It doesn't come from our deciding to be godly someday. It comes from Jesus' sacrifice. So when we practice the disciplines, we're simply stepping into the life of righteousness and disciplined living that Jesus established in us already. For example, uh, Romans 13.14 says, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And Ephesians 5, 8-10 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. And this really is what we're trying to do in practicing the disciplines, is finding out what pleases the Lord. A lot of these disciplines are simply geared toward acquainting us with God. We come to know him by acquaintance, like we do uh, the people that we have daily interaction with, and we come to know the facts about him. Uh, studying scripture gives us that. And it's, it's in that way that we come to know what pleases the Lord, and it takes intentionality, and it takes us putting in a place to learn those things. Uh, we also find that when we practice the disciplines they displace those things that we're chasing after that don't satisfy uh, the longing that I talked about. It brings to mind uh, the fact that they supplant the worldly pursuits uh, that Jeremiah was talking about, uh, the broken cisterns of Jeremiah 2.13, which says, 
My people have committed a double wrong. They have rejected me, the fountain of life-giving water, and they have dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns which cannot even hold water. So with the disciplines, what we do is clothe ourselves with Christ, and we engage with him instead of thinking about how to satisfy uh, those sinful cravings. So what does it look like? Uh, That's a question we ask around here a lot. What does it look like to step into the life of disciplined righteousness that Jesus put on us already? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't look like. Uh, When I'm in, in times of undisciplined living, which is often, I have this this fantasy uh, or this dream. This is, you know, this is what it would look like if I were being a good disciplined Christian. And here's the dream. It starts at dawn and I'm awake before everybody else and I'm sitting in a breakfast nook with a steaming cup of coffee and I read a chapter of scripture. And while I read, I have godly insights and revelations that bring tears to my eyes. And then, and then I go out and I warm the world with my spiritual glow. Uh, this doesn't happen. <laughs> and there are two good reasons it doesn't happen. The first is, this fantasy is about me. And the second is, I'm in control of what happens in this fantasy. The outcome, the fruitfulness of being disciplined comes out of my effort. And I'll I'll address both of those points uh, regarding the first point, that this fantasy is about me. Um, In this dream, my motivation is selfish. But the spiritual disciplines, um, they just can't be motivated by selfish desires. They can't be motivated by, you know, trying to strengthen strengthen your sense of inner peace, uh, by improving your self-esteem, or uh, by gaining status, or even by injecting you know, spiritual well-being into your family. In my fantasy, what I'm doing is polishing myself so that I shine. But what the disciplines are intended to do uh, when they're not selfishly motivated is to polish us so that Jesus shines. It's not about us. The disciplines aren't about us. Uh, In fact, when we practice the disciplines, uh, we end up you know, it's not only that we don't shine when we practice the disciplines, the opposite happens, right? We look terrible. One of the disciplines is confession. I think of, you know, a lot of times these big conferences or, or conventions will come to a city and, and they bring with them their little mini um, controversies. Uh, like if the convention center happens to be near some parks where there's a big homeless population, the city will start proposing laws and or maybe different enforcement practices to push the homeless population out of sight. right? Because the convention draws people from all over, and this is a chance for the city to showcase itself, to put its best foot forward. But regardless of what they decide to do, even if they push the homeless population out of sight, it doesn't change the poverty of the city. But when we practice the disciplines, what we're doing is the opposite. Right? We're showcasing our poverty And in that, we're enriched by God's grace. The disciplines done differently are just going to be fruitless. It brings to mind for me Psalm 115.1, which says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Now, I read this verse because I hope that it's unburdening. 
You know, when I'm responsible for earning my own glory and being disciplined, it just becomes overwhelming. Because not only am I trying to look good, I'm trying to look good so that I'll be loved and appreciated. But when we practice the disciplines uh, for the sake of God's glory, it takes the burden off because we don't achieve God's glory. God achieves God's glory. And he does that in us and he does it while loving us. There's a, another story from the Old Testament that I think of, the story of Gideon in Judges, where Gideon leads an army, and instead of building up the army, God pairs it down to just a pitiful number of people. In Judges 7.2 it says, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. So this brings me to the second obstacle uh, that I talked about, the second reason my, my fantasy doesn't pan out, which is that I'm in control of what happens. You know, it's, it's nice to think that I have control with the disciplines because then it means I can do something about that lack of inner peace and my lack of self-esteem, my lack of status. It means I'm able to inject spiritual well-being into myself and into my family. But for me, anyway, uh, this just becomes a barrier to entry. Again, because it's overwhelming. The disciplines end up being shame upon shame. Because I'm already weighed down by my failings to get it right. I can't control my outbursts at my family members. I don't come up with helpful things to say to my hurting friends. I haven't pursued the people uh, that I feel I ought to. I don't stay on top of my finances like I should. Uh, I'm not worth being pursued, and it goes. You know, this list goes on and on. This is just the tip of the iceberg for me. Um, and at the end of that list is the fact that I don't deserve God's help or His favor or His smile on me. So when I'm standing in that place, when we're there in our shame, and we think that a way of fixing those issues is by taking on the disciplines, it's just impossible. It doesn't work. It's like we're holding this huge backpack of shame, you know, and it's bent us over so that we're staring at the ground. And we look down, and we see a big sack full of the disciplines. And so, you know, a lot of times I get this twisted in my head. I think, okay, if I reach down and grab the sack of disciplines, it's going to somehow balance out the weight on my back. I'm a mechanical engineer. <laughs> In engineering terms, we call that uh, not in static equilibrium. Right? That's when I fall on my face. Really, what we need to do when we're burdened with shame in that way is simply shuffle over to where God is and hint, he's right there, uh, and let Jesus take that backpack of shame off of us. Because we can't transform ourselves. Right? We can't we can't transform ourselves into living a holy life. We can't transform ourselves any more than someone who you know, stomps around their house and roars like a T-Rex every morning can transform themselves into a dinosaur. They can do it at dawn in a breakfast nook. It's not going to change anything. I think instead the disciplines are like sitting down in a roller coaster. You know, when you sit down in a roller coaster and strap yourself in, 
Nobody expects you to make a good time happen to you. The good time takes you away. And that's what we do with the disciplines. We put ourselves in a position to hear from Jesus. And that's when Jesus tells us uh, that we are worth his help. That he loves us and that he's with us. Simply beholding Jesus and receiving his grace is what transforms us. It's not our own effort. Beholding Jesus and receiving his grace is what transforms us. It's not the effort that we put into the disciplines. This is what scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord who is the Spirit. What this says is that when we turn our attention to Jesus, he transforms us. That's what we do when we sit down in a roller coaster. And by the way, this is not the kind of roller coaster that makes us look good. You know, it's not the big drop tower. Uh, my wife said this is the kind of roller coaster that leaves you with a string of snot going across your face, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> it, it may not be pretty for you. This is how I'd like to contrast the fantasy of you know, my disciplined life with the reality of what happened. Uh, I found myself in, in a situation where my wife and son were out of town for a long time, so I had no structure in my life, and I didn't have any structure when it came to spiritual disciplines. I wasn't doing anything on a daily basis except maybe going to work. Uh, and it was in this place, as I was staring down the barrel of a sermon on the disciplines, that my friend suggested to me that I do a 60-day online Bible study. Now, this is something I resisted. Because A, somebody else suggested it. There's not glory for me in that. And B, this kind of thing just isn't up my alley. You know, it had bad clip art. Uh, <laughs> it was very digital. It didn't crinkle when I picked it up and smell musty like any worthwhile thoughts are that are transcribed. So the way my impulses told the story, there was nothing for me to gain in doing this study. Um, but I was also at a place where there's nothing to lose either. You know, it's not like that fantasy was working out for me. So I've started this study. It's 60 days. It's every single day, about 30 minutes. I spend in front of the computer. The only thing that's like the fantasy is, is that it does happen at dawn because I have to do it in the morning. But I find that at 5.30 in the morning, I'm not in a particularly holy mindset. And basically, all I have to offer at that point is uh, sitting myself down in the chair in front of the computer and doing the study. But that's offering your mind and your body, right? That's offering what you have. And this study has been a total blessing to me. It hasn't necessarily, you know, brought out tears every morning. Uh, but, but Jesus meets me there. It ends up uh, directing my mind to him in ways that displace the, the selfish thoughts about my day with thoughts about him. And I don't go into work thinking about how am I going to look good in front of my coworkers and boss uh, in the morning. I'm just thinking about Jesus and his grace.
And it's been transformative. And Jesus will meet you when you put yourself in a position to hear from him. Another familiar verse uh, that makes this point is Matthew 7, 7, where Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. So I end up meeting Jesus without winning a whole lot of glory for myself. Um, But it ends up displacing those ways that I try to fill longings um, that just don't work with Jesus who does fill those longings. So this brings me to uh, Lent which is the six-week uh, six fast that's starting this Ash Wednesday. It continues to Easter Eve, and traditionally uh, we, we take Sundays off from our fasting, um, and the rest of the days we've decided to give something up and replace it with uh, one of the disciplines. Right? And the picture that I have when I think about Lent is of the Israelites just after they left Egypt and went into the desert they ran out of sources of water. And they complained to Moses about this, who complained to God about this. And God told Moses what to do. He said, go up to a certain rock in front of all the people and hit it with your stick. And that rock is going to start pouring out water. And that's what Moses did, and that's what happened. The rock started pouring out drinkable water for the Israelites. And God did not provide another source of water for them. That was it. That was uh, their source of sustenance in the desert. And so I think of this time as walking into Lent as a time when we're walking into the desert and choosing Jesus as our source of sustenance. And I don't want to say that in a way that makes it sound overwhelming. Uh, It's a good thing, right? Because Jesus walked out into the desert. This is how I think of it, right? I think I need to go out into the desert and fast and face my temptations and win because that's what Jesus did. He went out into the desert by himself He fasted for 40 days, and he stood up against temptation. But Jesus was victorious where we would not be victorious. And so when we go out into the desert, we don't go out into the desert alone. We go out to meet Jesus, and we go out to claim his victory. So in this Lent time, uh, when you're choosing something to give up, and when you're choosing a discipline to take the place of that something to give up, you know, I think... The question shouldn't be, how can I make my life better for these 40 days? It should just be, how can I glorify God and behold his face? And so I want to encourage you to, to think about you know, where it is you have free time, uh, where, you, you, know, where you, you do things that you could give up and give yourself free time, and then choose a way to be disciplined in meeting with Jesus. And I also want to encourage you uh, to tell people about this. In fact, if you just think of one person right now who you're going to tell about it and and, uh, write that person down, uh, then we can do this as a community, and I think that's important because as we all go out to meet Jesus, we can all go see what Jesus is doing in these 40 days. So tell somebody about it. uh, Tell people how it's going as you do it and ask people about it and encourage them. I'll just end with this. Uh, what I started with was saying that I'm the worst of all sinners, and, and I think that's true. 
I'll argue with you if you if you say otherwise. Um, but in our weakness and in my weakness, God can stir our hearts and he can transform us when we turn to him. There's three ways to respond. The first is through giving. I'll pass out the baskets if you're visiting with us. There's no uh, obligation to give. We're just happy to have you here. And if the last person would put this basket at the end of the aisle, that would be good. Uh, the second way is through communion, and if the band members would, would come up to take communion now, um, usually we'd go into a time of meditation, but now we're, uh, we're going straight into worship. And uh, what Jesus told us to do with communion was to remember him, and the bread represents his body that was broken for us, and the wine or the juice represents his blood that was poured out for us. The third way that we can respond is the sinner's chair. In the back, there's a a black chair uh, that you can sit in if you feel especially weighed down by your own sin or by the sin of the world. Someone will come and, and pray for you during worship time. So with that, let's worship.